Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper for eugene appleton the summer of 1876 in rattlesnake junction colorado promises to be just as sleepy as the ones before his only excitement provided by the pulse-pounding Dead-Eye Dan adventure novels he devours. But Eugene's life takes an unexpected turn with the arrival of Tumbleweed Thompson, a gangly, red-haired boy who spins yarns about whaling voyages in the Atlantic and hidden stashes of gunpowder. Drawn into Tumbleweed's orbit, Eugene soon finds himself chasing smugglers, firing rifles, and competing for the attention of the lovely Charlotte Scoggins. The pair's innocent mischief takes a serious turn when they stumble across a sinister plot hatched by the infamous Clean Shave Gang. Soon, Eugene and Tumbleweed are smack inside the middle of a twisty plot lifted from the pages of a Dead-Eye Dan book. They've learned a lot from each other's friendship, but will it be enough to thwart the Clean Shave Gang's plans? Enjoy this reading of The Misadventured Summer of Tumbleweed Thompson by Glenn McCarty. The Misadventured Summer of Tumbleweed Thompson, written by Glenn McCarty, narrated by Glenn McCarty. Part 1, The Youth Tonic. Sometimes the biggest things in life seem to spring up out of plumb nowhere, Charlie. Look out! Dead-Eye Dan goes over Hacksaw Falls. Chapter 1 Pretty near everyone in Rattlesnake Junction acquired at least one memorable Tumbleweed Thompson story that misadventured summer. Myself, I've got a pocket full. Matter of fact, the yarns I acquired have served me quite nicely as I've pulled them out and sorted through them in my days since. Of all the scrapes involving me and Tumbleweed, I reckon the best place to start would be the one involving the tonic. After all, it's the one that brought us together. So that's where I'll begin. It was the summer of my twelfth year, and I was itching for something to happen. We'd arrived in Rattlesnake Junction, Colorado, four years earlier, and I'd watched the town grow up around me. Buildings hammered together, all manner of ranchers, miners, and grizzled cowpokes kicking up dust as they rode through town with tales of cattle drives and silver strikes. Of course, all this was happening while Eugene Appleton, that would be me, was watching from the front porch. It seemed if I so much as thought about wading into the wild waters of frontier life, Ma would be on me in a flash. Even today, I can picture her hickory-handled switch resting in the corner of the kitchen, exerting its singular, terrifying influence on me. Just the sight of it was enough to make my hind parts ache. All the daring do I'd experienced to that point was courtesy of Dead-Eye Dan, frontier marshal and crackerjack marksman, the hero of a whole set of dime novels to which I was keenly devoted. 
Contrasted with Deadeye Dan's exploits, my real life was as dry as a gulch. Now, before I wander too deep into my own story, I reckon I should orient you a bit. Rattlesnake Junction, my own little corner of God's green earth, sprang nearly whole out of the earth in one leap, like so many frontier establishments, on account of the mining industry. In our case, it was silver. The way I heard tell, about 20 years back or so, a drifter named Jim J. Johnson came wandering down out of the Rocky Mountain foothills, fell asleep under the stars with nothing but a rock for his pillow and his grizzled gray beard for a blanket, and woke up to discover the boulder he'd been sleeping on was the biggest chunk of silver you ever did see. Jim J. jumped, Jim J. hollered, and then Jim J. got rich. Turns out it's hard to keep a thing like that a secret. Soon, a whole slew of people started poking around for their own silver claim, setting up shotgun shacks and tussling over territory. There were scrapes and the usual disagreements, but eventually, enough of them had settled down into a life here that they figured they ought to name their little town. Wouldn't you know it, old Jim J. Johnson himself provided the name in his last act as a living soul. One Sunday morning, a few years after his first silver strike, he was wandering about a mile outside of town when he felt himself growing weary. He lay down next to a creek that ran in a northwesterly direction, again only a rock for his pillow and his fine prospector's beard for a blanket. When he awoke this time, it wasn't silver he discovered, but rattlers, 17 prairie rattlesnakes to be exact. They were crawling all over the bank, the rocks, and of course, Jim J. Johnson. One had even made a nest in his beard. Well, when Jim J. saw the collection of rattlers, he wasted no time in beating a path back to town, snakes and all. He arrived in the grassy plot in the dead center of town and stood there, like a prophet of the Lord in all his glory, snakes dangling from every part of him and proclaimed in a thunderous voice, There's rattlers in them there waters! Then he dropped dead right there, on account of all the rattler bites, I guess. Once they'd gotten Jim J. Johnson's body taken care of, they did two things. First, they planted a stately young elm tree on the very spot he'd expired. Then they named the creek Rattlesnake Creek, it didn't take long for the name Rattlesnake Junction to stick on account of how the creek intersects the San Pedro River just outside of town. We've got pretty much everything any frontier town would have, including a church, Mount Carmel Church, pastored by Elijah Appleton, my pa. And now, having gotten the background details taken care of, I suppose I can return to the spot where my story and Rattlesnake Junction's story intersect. It was early June, easily the most stifling Saturday afternoon of the young summer. I was desperate for a way to avoid another three hours stuck at home assisting Ma during her town sewing circle meeting. But how? Of honest escape plans, I had precious few options, and Ma could sniff out a fib a mile away. So there I was, facing down a summer afternoon trapped inside with Ma's sewing circle. The quilts created by her weekly gatherings of wives and widows would be sold at the Turner County Fair in August, with the proceeds benefiting a variety of charitable projects throughout the Colorado frontier. Which was fine, but I couldn't stand another moment squashed into that stuffy living room with a dozen women, listening to Mrs. Bradbury drone on about the symptoms of her gout. Cleaning the privy out back was strike two, and Ma suggesting I help serve the tea while I wore her blue gingham apron was the last straw. I prayed no boys would see me. So when Ma proclaimed herself in need of a bottle of molasses for her prize-winning ginger snap cookies, I sprang into action. I'd be happy to grab that molasses, Ma, I said. She fixed me with a suspicious look. See what I meant about sniffing out an opportunity for action? 
I whipped off the apron and leapt for the doorknob, aiming to exit before her usual litany of commandments. Moses only gave the Israelites ten of them. I should have been so lucky. There and back, lickety-split, Ma said, wagging her wooden spoon at me. No chin-wagging, lollygagging, or loitering, you hear me? My eyes instinctively shifted to the hickory switch. I cranked the knob and nearly plowed into Widow Springfield in the doorway. Afternoon, Eugene, she said, eyes pinched in a friendly smile behind round glasses, her gray hair pulled into a wispy bun. You going out? Oh, just an errand for Ma. Haven't seen you around the past few Saturdays. I had a few things to take care of at home, she said. Those leaky windows don't patch themselves, you know. She paused and reached into her handbag. Got something for you? I held out my palm and accepted the peppermint stick she placed there before stuffing Ma's money into the front pocket of my pants and ducking out the door. With the scent of freedom in my nostrils, I leapt off the porch, bolted past the lilac bushes, and jogged up the street. Our house lay a stone's throw from the corner of South Street and the town green. Thus, we were usually on the edge of any excitement that passed through town. So that's where I pointed myself. Molasses and the general store could wait. I rounded the first bend in the circle and stopped short. A swaggering golden voice rang out across the square like a railroad mallet, colliding with solid iron. My good friends, let me ask you one simple question on this glorious Saturday afternoon. Are you weary in body and brain? Is there a hitch in your giddy-up? Is your life panning for gold but coming up empty? If the answer is yes, then come on down and step right up. In my right hand, I hold the fountain of youth. Dr. Beauregard J. Thompson's rejuvenating, intoxicating, sure-to-be-motivating sunshine swirl youth tonic. Guaranteed to pep up any poopy prognosis you encounter in your life. I crept forward to the edge of a small crowd gathered in front of the general store. Elbowing my way into their midst, I caught sight of the shiny black frame of a high-sided wagon. It was drawn by a pair of horses hitched in front of the store. Atop the wagon's bed stood a tall, broad-shouldered man in a fringed buckskin coat. Wavy blonde hair cascaded over his shoulders, and he grinned from behind an equally blonde and equally wavy mustache. Behind this dramatic-looking man, a white bedsheet was stretched between two wooden posts, each affixed to one corner of the wagon's rear bench. The name of the product was painted on the sheet in a flamboyant red script. Dr. Beauregard J. Thompson hopped down from the wagon. But don't take my word for it. Behold, a demonstration of the awesome powers of this youth tonic. Behind me you will see my son, a mere boy of twelve, who seems by all outward appearances to be completely ordinary. Observe. He turned and raised an arm. A tall, slender boy stepped off the wagon onto the horses, one foot on the back of each. His buckskin coat matched the man's, and he wore a pair of faded corduroy overalls, a white shirt, and black string tie. His head was dwarfed by a comically large brown cowboy hat. He doffed the hat to the crowd, revealing an unruly shock of red hair. As I mentioned, completely ordinary, and yet this lad has been weaned on my sunshine swirl youth tonic since he was first at his mother's side. You will now see how this marvelous elixir has given him abilities unlike any other. You will be amazed, he pronounced firmly. He turned toward the boy. Go ahead, he called. 
The crowd fell silent, every eye trained on the boy atop the horses. He held his arms straight out to either side for balance, tongue poking out of the corner of his mouth, then stepped to one side. He now stood entirely on the back of the horse on the left. Eyes trained on the crowd, the boy crouched low, knees nearly touching his chin. A second passed, then another. Then the boy leapt high into the air and flipped over backwards, hat tumbling from his head as he hurtled toward the ground upside down. At the last moment, the boy twisted and righted himself, his feet hitting the ground with a thud as he landed. The crowd gasped, then burst into wild applause. The boy grinned and bowed, then clambered back onto the wagon where he wiped his forehead with a rag. Beauregard Thompson stepped into view again. Now that you've seen what this tonic can do, who might be brave enough to purchase a bottle? He called out. Who will have the courage, the gumption, to experience the invigorating effects of this magical brew? Then his gaze fell square on me. What about you, young man? Might you be ready to take the step into manhood? Story Junker. We're joined right now by the author, Glenn McCarty. Glenn, it's so good to have you here. Howdy. It's great to be here. Well, you open up with a howdy. What does that mean? (laughs) What does howdy mean? Um, I feel like howdy is the perfect way to say hello when you're just trying to tell someone, listen, this is who I am. I'm being authentic. I'm not trying to be, you know, some fancy pants person. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, hey. Oh, that's cool. Howdy. I might pick that up. I like it. So, uh, Glenn, I really enjoyed this clip of Misadventure Summer that you shared with us. Um, and it really got my head thinking about silver mining boom towns and the San Pedro River, all these great things that you point out to us. So I really I have to know I have to right away. Where is Rattlesnake Junction and is it a place I can visit? Well, I hate to kind of disappoint you in one way in that if you go out west to Colorado, you will probably not find a place called Rattlesnake Junction, Colorado, literally on any map, unfortunately. But like so many awesome fictional places, um, it exists in our imagination, which is a great place for a a fictional place to exist. Um, And also, it definitely is a combination and is inspired by... um, a lot of the cool fictional places that I've loved in stories growing up, but also um, it's pulled from the beauty of the American West. And I think, um, so in that sense, it's quotation marks real, but sadly, I don't think you could go on an expedition to Rattlesnake Junction because it does sound like a pretty happening place. Lots of really crazy things happen there. Yeah, it seems like a lot of crazy things are happening there. (laughs) So these two crazy characters that you came up with, Eugene Appleton, right, and Tumbleweed Thompson, where did those guys come from? Uh, I know, you know, again, imagination, but they had to be inspired by something. Um, like, uh, maybe some of your, uh, young listeners will be familiar with, um, the characters of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Um, they were definitely ones that when I was a young person, um, I remember, uh, probably first listening to like a radio drama of that story. And then when I was old enough to kind of read it and get through, it's not the easiest book for young readers. There's some complicated, uh, dialogue and, and stuff like that, but, um, for some reason that story and uh, the way that those two characters kind of bonded, but also learned from each other 
Um, plus just some of the ridiculous uh, shenanigans that they ended up kind of stumbling into, but also kind of causing a little bit themselves. <laughs> um, they were they were definitely characters that were influential. I also loved another series called The Great Brain, um, which I believe took place in Utah um, around the same time period. I might be off by a little bit. but um, And then the other way to think about this is, because um, I get asked the question, which of those two characters are you more like? And I, I guess if I'm being honest, I'm probably more like Eugene. And certainly my upbringing <laughs> was more like Eugene's in terms of the stability that his parents wanted him to have. But I think there's a little bit of Eugene and a little bit of Tumbleweed kind of maybe wrestling uh, when we have to make decisions inside of us. Should I, should I uh, do the safe thing? Should I, should I not risk anything? Or should I just go for it because this is an opportunity to maybe take a big risk? And so um, they're, they're sort of exaggerated versions of parts of my my personality i'd say that's pretty cool that sounds neat yeah i can i can totally understand that the way that they are similar to huck finn and tom sawyer i love those stories growing up i i would try to catch them in whatever form you know comic book or story or a movie i i just loved those adventures and um i was completely reminded of them in the midst of listening to eugene and tumbleweed get into these you know circumstances but what struck me was the fact that um, they, they weren't on the Mississippi, right? They were out west in Colorado, a whole nother landscape. And I love the idea of boom towns, silver mining, gold mining, and, and even ghost towns, old west ghost towns. So this whole thing, um, it's, a, it's a great backdrop. Uh, have you ever spent time in, you know, in a boom town or, or what now are known as ghost towns? Not really, no. Not extensively, no. I think probably um, the closest I've come is maybe somewhere in the American South, probably maybe some sort of vintage town or sort of reconstructed uh, town from that time period. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly why, but there was something about um, this backdrop of the Rocky Mountains, the time period where um, things are kind of exploding, like you said, booming, um, that really anything could happen. And for me, who loves adventure, but also like comedy, um, those that's an ingredient for just stories where adventurous things happen and discoveries are made um, because all the parts of the map aren't you know filled in. But also um, there's the opportunity for just some kind of ridiculousness. And it seems like this is the kind of world in which a kid who calls himself Tumbleweed could kind of just get away with it and be fine. You know, like, um, I don't want to spoil anything for your readers, but his, his real name is not actually Tumbleweed. Um, but you might, you might actually find out um, if you read the book what his real name is. Um, it just seems like that would be the kind of thing that he could, uh, you know, he could, and all the stories that he tells when he meets Eugene about these adventures he's had and these places he's gone, um, you know, you, you can't verify any of that stuff. And so what's cool about that is you could meet someone and they could tell you that stuff. And, and Eugene meeting Tumbleweed, he almost doesn't care whether or not it's all true. He's just like, man, that's the kind of life that I've always been dreaming about having because I read all these adventure books and, and all this stuff, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that, you know, the map was not completely filled in. And there was a time in our American history where that was the case. We, we didn't know. A lot of parts were unexplored. Um, or even if we had a general idea of what was out there, 
people were making up tall tales about how uh, geologic formations were formed or how about um, the animals that they were introduced to showed up on, on the scene. There was a lot of new things that Americans were discovering as they moved west, right? Um, did you did you have any favorite tall tales when you were a kid? Man, I love those tall tales. Um, I think I loved them more than I remembered loving them. But when I started kind of coming up with this, so the name came first, Rattlesnake Junction. I think actually way, way back it was called Snakeskin Junction, and then I changed it. But the name came first, and then it was so much fun to sort of like, okay, so if it, they called a town that, how did it come to that name? And then you know, in that first chapter, Eugene recounts like this absolutely ridiculous origin story of this guy, you know. <laughs> and so I just remember as I was coming up with that origin story, yeah, there's like Paul Bunyan was probably one of my favorites. Um, and, you know, even like Pecos Bill and, and, uh, and those. Um, because, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's distinctly American. Um, you know, every, every culture has its sort of origin mythology and man, um, I was actually able. So after Tumbleweed came out, I wrote a little collection of short stories called junction tales, um, that are the, the, the premise behind that collection is that these are stories that kind of go back and that Eugene would have heard about some of the other places. So within Tumbleweed, there's this place they call Mosquito Ridge, just like out of town, up, up a hill. And so like, I was like, okay, so where did that name? And as you read that collection, like in the time that has passed since that event took place, all of them kind of read like those little tall tales because there's either kind of mildly supernatural stuff or like just stuff that's inconceivable that couldn't have happened that way. Right, and, right. um, and I feel like that's just, that's like part and parcel of any place that has a history is, you know, that word of mouth that people passing it on from one person to another. I met someone over the summer uh, we were traveling, but I met someone who's familiar with the town that I live in, in Western New York. And they, um, they said, oh my gosh, such and such. And they said, did you know about that one place out of town that, that that's there and that thing used to happen there? And, and I, I had never heard that story before, but like instantly, you know, that's such a cool idea is that there are these, these stories that kind of just grow as they, as the more time goes on. And, uh, and so that's sort of the question is like, what what the truth is, what isn't, you know, not that the truth doesn't matter, but that it it sort of gets embellished as as the years yeah. go on. And I, I just love that kind of story, you know. Yeah, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. And um, you did a great job naming Rattlesnake Junction. That story was a lot of fun. <laughs> I could just picture the old guy falling asleep and being so surprised when he woke up on top of a silver nugget. I mean, come on. It's crazy. Uh, you and I have enjoyed tall tales growing up as boys, and this is another boy story, right? Two young guys, and they're you know scrapping and getting into trouble. And I'm wondering though, is this just a storybook for boys, or can girls enjoy this too? Um, well, the answer I would obviously say is absolutely, <laughs> most definitely. I have definitely proof. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of young readers, uh, young girl readers who even like a household where they have like three girls, uh, who have written or, or emailed or whatever and said to me, um, you know, 
this is fantastic. I mean, regardless of the adventures, um, that was definitely, uh, one of the things I was trying for. I have two, uh, boys of my own at the time tumbleweed came out, they were probably uh, about eight and 10. Now they're a little bit older than that. Um, and so I was familiar with that. I kind of knew the kinds of things that they would connect with. Um, there's a fantastic female character in this book, Charlotte Scoggins, um, who's sort of like, uh, just one of the crew. Um, and she's, you know, kind of someone that Eugene gets a little anxious and nervous around. Um, but also she holds her own in some of the most pivotal moments of this story in a way that's awesome. Um, but I think even if, you know, even regardless of that, I think there's, um, you know, there's some really, the funny stuff and the adventure and the mystery. I don't, I mean, I don't see why that has to be limited to any particular person. I've had adults, you know, tell me, uh, I, I just kind of read this. <laughs> I didn't read it to my kids yet. I just read it myself and I was <laughs> laughing over it and they were sort of acting like they were apologizing for that. And I said, there is nothing to apologize for. You know, I, I hope that it's the kind of story. I mean, my, my sort of mission in writing for young people is for young people and families to gather around. It's sort of like my, my idea is that, that stories bring people together, whether you're sharing one with someone, whether you're reading it together, um, you know, as a read aloud, a family read aloud, which is great, whether you're listening to it on fantastic podcasts, um, any of those things, you know, those involve uh, people sharing stories together. And so whatever the dynamic of that group, I think that's the way it's supposed to be, supposed to be experienced, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Storytelling is all about getting together and, and sharing stories, isn't it? Uh, and so this is another good story that, you know, it just, it just pulls people in and <laughs> it doesn't let them go. I was so sad when we reached the end of the clip, I wanted more. So what would you say, or what would you hope, I guess, that kids who read this book would take away from the adventurous tale? What are some treasures that you hope they would find at Rattlesnake Junction? Yeah, I think um, one of the awesome things about setting this book in a place, a specific town, was having to fill this town with people. And the more I started thinking about some of the other characters that they would come across, um, I started really becoming aware that, like, look around and, and pay attention to the people that you cross paths with every day. Um, one of the major side characters in this book is the local town barber who Eugene kind of accidentally goes to work for because he's trying to get out of the scrape that happens in that first chapter of the book. Um, and the more time he starts to spend around this character, his name's Wendell, um, the more he starts to just learn about this guy and his history. He, he's not just a type, he's an actual person. And I think I would hope that young people would recognize that there's, um, there's, there's awesome people all around you. Maybe they're a little older than you. Um, and then there's, um, there's also can be opportunities that even though you're young, there can be opportunities to really bring some joy and some light to other people's lives. Um, that's definitely one of the cool subplots that kind of emerged from this story was kind of the, neighbors helping neighbors in a way that that was kind of unexpected it just seemed like it would fit um and so i i think you know yes um there's adventure in your own backyard and that's awesome i mean i think that's a fun realization we're definitely in an era of stories where like big like galaxy saving stories and adventures are out there and they're exciting you know but i think also um to recognize that uh there, there are other types of adventures that can also be really meaningful, especially when it involves like um, sort of seeing, realizing things about yourself, you know. 
And I think I, I can definitely see in this book how both Eugene and Tumbleweed uh, like recognize that they each have some character things that they kind of wish were different especially Eugene at the beginning, but then as the story goes on, Tumbleweed, um, even Tumbleweed, who presents himself as this very confident young man, um, recognizes some things about himself, and so they both are kind of learning from each other, and I think that's that's usually what happens in good friendships, is you kind of sharpen each other, um, and I, I hope that's a, another interesting and very satisfying thing that happens uh, as a result of reading this book, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for bringing the misadventured summer of Tumbleweed Thompson and Eugene Appleton forward. Thanks for sharing it with Story Jumpers. So cool. Oh, my pleasure. I really look forward to more of their adventures. Um, I understand that's there's more in the works, right? Yeah. So we had um, a successful uh, Kickstarter campaign back in the fall to uh, publish the sequel, um, which has been a long time coming. And I'm thrilled that that uh, this spring, um, the Golden Road of Tumbleweed Thompson, a completely different type of adventure from the first book, um, will be coming out. Um, and so that's something to definitely keep your eye on. I'm thrilled. I think it's an awesome uh, continuation of both Eugene and Tumbleweed's story, and I couldn't be more happy about it coming out. Awesome. I'll bet. Well, when it does hit the shelves, will you please come and share it with the Story Jumpers? Absolutely. You got it. Cool. Glenn, thanks so much. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thanks. Parents, The Misadventured Summer of Tumbleweed Thompson by Glenn McCarty is a generous, hospitable, hopeful story that will delight and charm children fortunate enough to read it. Lovely, hilarious, and beautiful writing is paired with genuinely spectacular art, says S.D. Smith, author of the Green Ember series. Inspired by buddy adventure novels like Homer Price, The Great Brain, and The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, the story follows 12-year-old Eugene Appleton, whose summer in the frontier town of Rattlesnake Junction, Colorado, promises to be just as sleepy as the ones before. It's a novel about friendship, adventure, belonging, and finding out there's a whole lot more out there than you first thought. Glenn McCarty is the author of the children's middle grade novels, The Misadventured Summer of Tumbleweed Thompson and Dead-Eye Dan and The Chimeron Kid. Learn more about the book at glennmccarty.com. You can also find The Misadventured Summer of Tumbleweed Thompson on Amazon.com.